0: Done so already, turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. The same verses that Sam read we're going to be looking at this morning. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And as we've seen so far in our study of Acts, this is the, the story of what Jesus continues to do after his ascension. The book of Luke was, the, was obviously the story of what Jesus did and what he taught uh, while he was here on earth. And Luke tells us that, that his second volume, his second book, is going to be the story of what he continued to do. And as we saw last Sunday, or actually not last Sunday, because I wasn't here, uh, as we saw two Sundays ago, uh, last time I was here, uh, we we saw that Jesus laid the foundation for that work when he showed himself alive to the apostles and then uh, taught them about the kingdom and commissioned them to go out as his witnesses. But you'll remember that after that commission, he, he told them to wait. He told them to wait in Jerusalem until they should receive the promise of the Father, until they should receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And in doing that, he laid the foundation for the work that he would continue to do after the ascension. But before we get to that work, which will really take up the bulk of Acts, we have one more sort of introductory lesson here because we need to consider the ascension itself. R.C. Sproul tells us that the, uh, the Ascension is maybe the, the least discussed aspect of Jesus' public ministry. He writes that, that Christians spend a great deal of time thinking about the birth and the death and the resurrection, the second coming of Jesus, but the Ascension of Christ is often overlooked. We, we don't think about the significance of it. It's just, it's just that Jesus isn't here anymore. And so this morning, I want us to take the time to, to really think through the significance of this event. Why is it significant that the one who came in the flesh ascended back to the Father? So we're going to be thinking about that tonight, as we, or this morning, as we, as we look at these verses in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Look, look again at verse 9. We're told that when he had said these things, when he had taught the disciples about the kingdom, when he had had commissioned them to go out and to be his witnesses, when he had commanded them to wait until they received the Spirit, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And so the most obvious thing about the ascension, the, the sort of the first thing that we see as we, as we begin to think about this aspect of Jesus' work, is that the ascension means that Jesus is no longer here with us on earth bodily. Now that may seem too obvious to even point out, but, but, I, but I think that it is profoundly significant. It reminds me actually of something that, that Peter said. When Peter was was writing his first letter, he, he wrote to these saints dispersed throughout the ancient world, and he said, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. Peter was writing to believers who had never seen Jesus. Now that obviously includes all of us. We are are in that same category. We We have never seen Jesus with our physical eyes. We were not with him bodily. Peter was. Peter tells us in his second letter, he says, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we were eyewitnesses of his Majesty, Peter was, was with him in the flesh. He, he saw him with his own eyes. He, he sat down at table with him to eat. He, he sat at his feet as he taught. Peter was with Jesus physically. Jesus, well, he was with Jesus bodily. But most Christians throughout the, the, this age between Jesus' ascension and return have never seen Jesus with their physical eyes. And I wonder if you are like me in thinking that, a, a disadvantage. I wonder if you are like me and, and, and wishing that maybe you could have just been there. Wouldn't it have been great if you could have been with Jesus, if you could have seen Him, if you could have sat at table with Him, if you could have heard Him speak, if you could have witnessed His miracles? And, of course, it, it would have been a, a profound experience. I in no way want to, to minimize the, uh, the uh, wonder of what the apostles experienced. It was an incredible thing for them to, to be with Jesus in the flesh. But at the same time, we have to remember what Jesus himself said. Jesus himself said on that that last night when he was with his disciples before his betrayal and and crucifixion, he he said to his disciples, because I have said these things to you, because I've, I've told you that I'm leaving, because I've told you that the end of my ministry has come, he says, because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Jesus speaking to his disciples, explaining to them that that, that his his time with them was coming to an end, that he was returning to the Father. He says to them, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go, the Helper, that is, the the Comforter, some translations have it, the, the Holy Spirit, if I do not go, the Helper will not come to you but if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus tells his disciples, those whom he had been with physically, those whom he had been with bodily, he tells his disciples, it is to your advantage that I go away and send the Holy Spirit to you. And of course, that Advantage extends to us who, like all the Christians following that first generation, have not seen Jesus with our own physical eyes. And so, of course, we're forced to ask, what's the advantage? What is the advantage of having the Holy Spirit with us instead of being with Jesus bodily? How can that possibly be better? Well, to answer that question correctly, I think we we need to have something clear in our minds. We we need to understand that, that the question is not what is the advantage of having the Spirit instead of Jesus. You see, I think that's the way we sometimes hear it. We sometimes think that that what we're talking about is, are we going to have Jesus with us in the flesh, or are we going to have the the Spirit with us? But that's not actually the way that, that Jesus frames the question. The question is not, is there an advantage to having the Spirit instead of Jesus? The question, rather, is, what is the advantage of having Jesus with us by the Spirit instead of having Jesus with us bodily? The choice is is not between Jesus and the Spirit, but the choice is between Jesus' bodily presence and His presence in the Spirit. Now, let's be clear. Jesus is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not Jesus. They are distinct persons. uh, The the second and third person of the the, the Trinity, of the the Godhead, They, they they are distinct, and yet they are one God. And in the mystery of the Trinity... Jesus tells us that that He is now with His disciples, and that includes us. He is now with His disciples in the person of the Spirit. So so the choice is not between Jesus' presence and Jesus' absence. The the choice is between His presence with us bodily and His presence with us in the Spirit. It's why Jesus Himself says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. When when he says, I will come to you, he's not talking about his second coming. He is talking about the outpouring of the Spirit. He is saying, I will come to you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And so when you begin to see this, when you begin to see what the question really is, it becomes clear, I think, what the advantage is. Jesus is not just with us, but in the Spirit, Jesus is now in us. He is, he is with us in a, in a more profound way. Just as Sam said, I can could, I could only help one child at a time if I'm using my physical hand. But Jesus, now in the Spirit, is with all His disciples all the time. He, he is at work in each one of us in, in profound ways. He is, he is at work in us, making us into The people that we have been called to be conforming us more and more to the image of the the glory of Christ. The, The incarnate Word is at work in His people by the Spirit through the Word to accomplish God's purposes in the lives of His people. Just as at the very beginning when God spoke and it came to be just as He said, God's Word is now at work in us to bring us into conformity with God's calling upon our lives. He is convicting us of sin, we're told. He is teaching us the the truth. He is training us in righteousness. He is is comforting and assuring us of of God's love and, and forgiveness when we fall woefully short. And He is returning our minds again and again to the profound good news of the Gospel. This is the work of the Spirit in us. And this is the work of Jesus Christ in us by the Spirit. Jesus is with us. We have never seen Him with our physical eyes, but He is with us by the Spirit. This is the the first implication of His Because Jesus has ascended to the Father, he has now poured out the gift of the Father upon his church. Because Jesus has ascended to the Father, we are now, he is now with us, with each of us, in us, by the Spirit. But there's a second implication here that we, we need to see. Because not only is Jesus with us by the Spirit... But we need to see that the Jesus who is with us by the Spirit is the same Jesus who is now enthroned in heaven. You see, Jesus isn't just in heaven somewhere. He isn't just gone from earth. He ascended to the Father's right hand. And it is from there that he now intercedes for his People. This is the, the, the implication of the cloud that, that Luke mentions in verse 9. It's, it's not always immediately obvious to us. When, when I was a kid, I used to read this like, like uh, watching a helium balloon go up. You ever had a, a helium balloon and you, and you accidentally let go of it and it kind of floats up into the clouds and eventually it gets so small that you can't see it anymore and it, and it disappears into the clouds. And I used to think that was sort of what was going on when when we read about Jesus and a cloud taking them out of their view. But that's not at all what Luke has in mind. The cloud that takes Jesus out of their sight is, is no ordinary cloud. The cloud that takes Jesus out of their sight is the cloud of God's glory. The Shekinah cloud, the the cloud that was uh, with them on the Mount of Transfiguration, the the cloud that enveloped them when Jesus' glory was revealed, the the cloud that had previously filled the temple and before that the the tabernacle, the cloud that had descended upon Mount Sinai when Moses met with God and received his Ten Commandments. This is the cloud, the, the Shekinah glory of God. And what we are supposed to see in this cloud enveloping Jesus and taking them out of their sight is that Jesus is returning to the Father with glory. We often speak of him coming with the clouds, that he will return with the clouds. And when we say that, we mean that he will become riding on the clouds in glory when he finally comes again. But we have to understand that that when he returns in that way, he will be returning in the way that he left. He left on the clouds. He came into the presence of the Father on the clouds. He returned to the Father in glory, and it was a scene that had been prophesied long beforehand by Daniel himself. In Daniel chapter 7, turn with me there just briefly. Daniel chapter seven. Beginning at verse 13. The first half of Daniel is all the fun stories that we're so familiar with. The second half of Daniel gets really weird. It's all these visions and, and prophecies. Well Well, this is one of those visions. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Daniel says, "I saw in the night visions, and behold, You hear the language, one like a son of man. This is, this is actually where Jesus' title, the Son of Man, comes from. This is, this is why Jesus often referred to himself as the Son of Man. He is the one of whom Daniel speaks. And notice, this one like a son of man comes into the presence of the Ancient of Days. That is, he comes into the presence of the Eternal Father, seated in glory in the heavens. He comes into the presence of the Ancient of Days with the clouds of heaven. He comes with glory. And why does He come? He comes to receive a kingdom. He comes to receive an eternal dominion. This is a picture of Jesus' ascension, coming into the the presence of the Ancient of Days to receive the kingdom that He has won by His life, death, and resurrection. And thus, when when Jesus is hidden from their sight by a cloud, he He is not simply just disappearing from earth, but He is returning to the glory that He had left to be enthroned at the right hand of the Majesty on high. He is going to receive a kingdom. A kingdom that He will establish. Paul tells us that, that in his death and resurrection, he had disarmed the rulers and the authorities and the, and the, and the powers of this evil age and of, and of this earth. He took away all their power. He, he subdued them. He, he sealed their fate and is even now working to, to bring their uh, submission to completion. Of course, it is a work that is is in progress. We we see that all around us. We we see the evidence of of evil still at work in this world all the time. We see the the brokenness and the the evil and the the malice that, that surround us. The work is not yet complete. And Paul tells us that the last enemy to be defeated will be death. And because we, we see that, that ongoing turmoil, it can sometimes be hard to, to remember that Jesus is actually enthroned in heaven. But it's often been compared to, to D-Day. That when Jesus rose again from the dead, the, the, the fate of the enemy was sealed. But the, there was still work to do. But what we often forget about D-Day is that The the casualties that the allies suffered were four, five, six times greater after D-Day than they were before. Yes, the, the victory had been won, but the enemy was still fighting ferociously. There was still significant work to do. And that is the age in which we live. Our king is enthroned. Our king is establishing his kingdom. But there is still a fight going on. But our confidence is that he is enthroned and the victory is not in doubt. He is at work and he will not fail to bring to completion the good work that he has begun. And so not only is Jesus working in us, but he is working for us. His intercession for us is is both in our Inner sanctification as we are conformed more and more to the image of his glory. And it is for our good as he works all things together to establish his kingdom and the eternal blessing of his people. This is the significance of Jesus' ascension. This is what is secured by Jesus returning to the Father in glory. We actually see Peter bring both of these together in his first letter. He he speaks of the fact that that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we have been born again to a living hope, an inheritance in this this coming kingdom. And he tells us that that inheritance is being kept for us by God's power. It's, It's being kept for us because our king sits upon the throne, and he has subdued his enemies, and he will establish his kingdom our inheritance is not threatened. It cannot be touched by thieves. It cannot be destroyed by moths or, or rust. It is a secure kingdom. It is a, a kingdom that is kept by the very power of God. But not only is our inheritance kept, but we are kept for it, Paul sa- or Peter says. We are being guarded by the power of God through faith for it. So that God is not only at work establishing His kingdom for His people and for their eternal blessing, but He is keeping them that they might receive the inheritance that has been granted to them in Jesus Christ. This is the work of our ascended Lord. He is keeping our inheritance and He is keeping us for that inheritance so that our future is absolutely secure. One day we will receive all that has been promised to us. When? We, we don't know. But we know the day is coming because it is promised to us here in Acts. It's the, the significance of the, the promise that these men in white, these angels, it's, it's the significance of the promise that they make. He says to uh, the, the disciples as they're gazing into the heaven, He says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Why do, you, why do you stand here gazing into the sky? You, you have work to do. And your master will come again. We, we want to know when. It's the, it's the question we, we naturally ask. It's actually the question that the disciples themselves asked back in chapter 6. Is, is now the time when you're going to establish your kingdom? Is now the time when you're going to restore the kingdom to, to Israel? You'll remember what Jesus said. He says, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. It is not for you to know. We're we're not supposed to know. We're not supposed to try to to figure it out. All attempts to to put a date on it are fundamentally misguided. We, We are not supposed to try and figure it out. But rather, we are to be faithful doing the work that He has given us to do in the meantime. And knowing that Jesus has ascended to the Father, knowing that He is now seated on the throne in heaven, subduing all His enemies to Himself and establishing His kingdom, knowing that He is now with us by the Spirit, fitting us for that kingdom, sets us free to do that work with an uncommon boldness. Knowing that we can face whatever obstacles, whatever enemies come, knowing that they cannot harm us, knowing that they cannot undo God's purposes for our good, and knowing ultimately that they cannot keep us from accomplishing the good work that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Because we have an ascended Lord who sits upon the throne at the Father's right hand and now works even in us through the power of the Spirit. And because we have such a bold confidence through Jesus' resurrection and ascension to the Father's right hand, that is one reason we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let us believe it together. Father God, we do rejoice in Your goodness. We do thank You for Your grace. And we thank You for the gift of Your Son, Jesus Christ, our crucified risen and ascended Lord who is now with us by the Spirit even as he sits at your right hand interceding for us. Father, let us set our hope fully on Jesus Christ that we might walk in boldness here and now until he comes again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.